The threat of Islamist terrorism is absolutely real. The attacks in London weren't unpredictable or undefined. They were carried out by a cell of terrorists who believed that global Sharia law ought to be implemented, that the Dar al-Harb, territory of war, must be turned into the Dar al-Islam by forceful means. In order to fight the threat of Islamism, three myths must immediately die, and we in the West must do all we can to put them to death. Myth number one, only a negligible minority of Muslims are Islamists. It's simply not true that the vast, 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 vast majority of Muslims don't believe in the goals of Islamism, even if they're unwilling to participate themselves in the jihad. Bernard Lewis explains, quote, significant numbers of Muslims are ready to approve and a few of them to apply this interpretation of this religion. As Muslim moderate Zudi Jasser puts it, it's a political movement of 30 to 40 percent of Muslims globally and 80 to 90 percent of establishment leadership due to petro-Islam of Saudis and Qataris. Myth number two, not everyone who is nonviolent is non-Islamist. President Trump has spoken out about the nature of Islamism, but he made the mistake of doing so in Saudi Arabia, ignoring the Saudi support for Wahhabism all over the planet. In doing so, he lumped Islamists in with moderates, a crucial mistake. American groups like the Council on American-Islamic Relations and the Islamic Society of North America also reflect an Islamist worldview. Dr. Jalal Zubairi, director of the Center for Islamic Pluralism, says, quote, they support Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood. Yet these organizations are routinely utilized as points of contact for governments on the local, state, and federal level. The seedbed for terrorism is a far larger community of people who agree with terrorist views and tut-tut their means. Myth number three, the West has no part in pushing Islamic reform. The notion here seems to be that only the Islamic world can produce reform inside Islam. That's true, but the federal government and Western governments around the world have an obligation to help identify reformers and moderates and provide them with support while excising everyone else. This doesn't mean we can't engage in real politics, but it does mean we can't blather about the threat of Islamism while standing in the middle of Riyadh next to one of the greatest sponsors of Islamism on the planet. We took an active role in promoting democracy in Western Europe rather than communism in the aftermath of World War II. We should be playing a similar role in the Muslim world now. This is why it was so egregious for President Obama to simply declare a, quote, Arab Spring and do nothing to support actual moderate forces. Finally, we must fight the perception that we can't kill enough terrorists to make a difference. We certainly can, and we must. We must also take measures designed to protect ourselves at home, including President Trump's extreme vetting. But the true battle, the one that will last decades, is about what happens inside Islam itself. We must get active in that battle. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All righty, so... Lots to talk about today. I want to talk about President Trump's tweets. I want to talk about the nature of Islamism. I want to talk about global warming. So a lot to get to today. But before we get to any of that, I first want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Texture. So if you like magazines like Time, Reader's Digest, Sports Illustrated, Entertainment Weekly, The Atlantic, Vanity Fair, you need Texture.com. So Texture is an app that allows you to read all of these magazines and their back issues for $9.99 a month. Just $9.99 a month, all of them. On your smartphone, on your tablet. It is searchable. You can mark what you like, check out back issues, view bonus video content. They even curate articles and magazines just for you or whomever you're giving Texture to this year. Texture, as I say, is normally $9.99 a month and you get over 200 magazines. But if you sign up right now at texture.com slash Ben, you get a 14-day free trial. You can see how cool it is. If you're addicted to information, texture.com slash Ben is for you. There's no reason to subscribe to just a couple of magazines when you can have all of them on your smartphone or tablet all the time for way less. Right now, Texture is offering my listeners that 14-day free trial when you go to texture.com slash Ben. That's texture.com slash Ben. 14 days to try it for free when you go to texture.com slash Ben. Again, use the slash Ben so you get that 14-day free trial and also so that they know that we sent you. Okay, so big terror attack happens in London on Saturday. 
killing seven people, wounding another 45. A group of radical Muslims apparently just walked down the center of London Bridge, started stabbing people, knifing people, attacking people, people running away. They had no capacity to defend themselves because guns are basically illegal in Britain. So people who were at bars that were under assault were actually throwing beer mugs at the terrorists. The police had to run away and come back with guns. There was an eight-minute delay between when this started and when the police were actually able to put these terrorists down. It was not lone wolves. It was a full-on terror cell. There was also a stabbing attack nearby. Apparently, the police had to explode a few bombs that didn't go off, so it it could have been much worse. Thank God it wasn't. Um, But Instead of the left looking seriously about the fact that we've now had two major terrorist attacks in Great Britain in the last three weeks, instead of looking at that and saying, well, maybe we ought to take a look at the standards for vetting immigrants coming in from Muslim countries. Maybe we ought to look at the impact of Wahhabi money coming in and impacting the mosques. Maybe we ought to take a look at better surveillance inside the Muslim community because not all Muslims are terrorists, but these radical terrorists are all Muslims. Instead of doing that, the left has decided it's very, very important instead to go after President Trump. So President Trump, again, he just tweets what's on his mind, which is not a wonderful thing. I want to talk about whether this is effective or not in a second. But the first thing to note is that the left is using President Trump's tweets as a way of avoiding having to talk about the real issues that are cropping up inside the Islamic world. So. President Trump tweets, here's what he tweeted, this is on Sunday, he said, we, we need to be smart, vigilant, and tough, we need the courts to give us back our rights, we need the travel ban as an extra level of safety. So, number one, the left jumps all over that because they say, okay, what does this have to do with the travel ban, because the travel ban, none of these people were actually from any of the countries covered by the travel ban, and then... He tweets next, whatever the United States can do to help out in London and UK, we will be there. We are with you. God bless you. Okay, see, that's actually what the president should be tweeting. And then he should save all the rest of the policy talk for a big policy speech that he'd give on Monday about the threat of radical Islam and how we're actually going to counter it and who our allies are in that fight and what policies ought to be promulgated up to and including the travel ban. He then continues, we must stop being politically correct and get down to the business of security for our people. If we don't get smart, it will only get worse. Okay, so again, that's true, but... You ought to suggest some solutions. Ann Coulter, who's a big Trump supporter, obviously, she wrote in Trump We Trust. Ann Coulter said, right, this is why we elected you to do these things, not to blather about them. Uh, And then he also tweeted, at least seven dead and 48 wounded in terror attack. And mayor of London says there is no reason to be alarmed. Uh, And here he's talking about the the mayor of London is a guy named Sadiq Khan, who is a Muslim guy who has downplayed the threat of terrorism in the recent past. Uh, uh, The mayor of London said there's no reason to be alarmed because of the extra police presence. Obviously, that's silly. Uh, I'd be alarmed if I were in London right now. Uh, I'm not sure why Trump was going after Sadiq Khan, per se, on this. I mean, there are many reasons to go after the mayor of London. This seems like a bad reason to go after the mayor of London. And uh, and so that's that. Is there one more Trump tweet here? Uh, Okay. And finally, do you notice that we are not having a gun debate right now? That's because they use knives in a truck. Okay, that's true, but the way that he phrases that makes it sound like it would have been better if they had guns so we could have a gun debate, which is weird. But in any case, is any of this really egregious stuff? Is any of it truly terrible? No, none of it is truly terrible. It's also not effective. I'll discuss the effective point in a second. But the point I really want to make is that the left is jumping on Trump's tweets in order to go after Trump. So you have idiot Reza Aslan on CNN, who is just an awful, awful commentator a guy who's eaten human brains, by the way. And, uh, and Reza Aslan comes out and he says that Trump is a quote-unquote piece of bleep. And it's a CNN commentator saying that about the president of the United States. And then an MSNBC anchor comes out and says, maybe Trump is trying to provoke a terror attack in the United States to prove a point. Here's what this MSNBC anchor had to say. Is the president trying to provoke a domestic terrorist attack with this yeah. Twitter rant? Because well, only to prove himself right. 
That's Thomas Roberts, which is just idiotic. No, he's not trying to provoke a domestic terror attack with his Twitter rant. That's so stupid. It's not like ISIS is sitting around going, oh, Trump tweeted something nasty. Let's go kill Americans. Like they, they want to kill Amer- like they killed plenty of them during Obama's time. This idea that Trump is the, his tweets are responsible for an uptick in terror is just silly. And then you have idiots like Bette Midler who just I mean there are no words to describe the stupidity of this tweet. She said more sorrow in, and grief at the hands of madmen in London. Men and religion are worthless. Um, okay. How about like the guys who are the soldiers killing the terrorists? Are they worthless as well? How about the men who are killed by the terrorists? Are they worthless? Are the police worthless? How about the guy who's your father? I assume that you find him not worthless. Is he worthless as well? Also, I'm weirded out by the fact that she lumps in all religion together. This is something the left likes to do so that they can avoid having to talk about the real threat of radical Islam and the fact that Islam has a unique relationship with terrorism that does not exist in Christianity or Judaism. Uh, Men and religion are worthless. Really, like, all religion is worthless. Like, the Jainists are a problem. The Jainists are the problem. Like, I'm I'm confused. Buddhists are the problem now. Again, anything to avoid discussing the real issues here. The real issues of what percentage of Muslims are actually radicalized, what percentage of those radicalized Muslims are actually terrorists. Susan Rice of the, of the Obama administration, she of Benghazi lies, uh, she came out, and former national security advisor, and she says that Trump's travel ban isolates Muslims. So she's, again, attacking Trump as opposed to talking about what strategy should actually be used with regard to combating radical Islam. Well, George, there's really no evidence to suggest that by banning Muslims or banning Muslims from a particular set of six countries that we would make ourselves here in the United States safer. Uh, And that's, uh, I believe, one of the major reasons why the courts thus far uh, have been very skeptical uh, of the travel ban. Moreover, I think there's a very real risk uh, that by uh, stigmatizing uh, and isolating uh, Muslims from particular countries and, and Muslims in general, that we alienate uh, the very communities here in the United States whose cooperation we most need to detect and prevent uh, these homegrown extremists from She's being able to She's spending all of her time arguing attacks. about the travel ban against Trump. And it's all about Trump's tweets, because if Trump hadn't said anything, then right now we'd be talking about the nature of radical Islam and what we actually have to do to fight it. But instead, because Trump tweeted all this stuff, the left is jumping on that. Sally Cohn, she tweets, political correctness. Remember, Trump tweeted a few minutes ago about political correctness being a problem. Sally Cohn tweeted, political correctness is simple idea. Everyone should be treated with equal dignity and respect. It's not cause of terrorism. It's antidote. First of all, political correctness is not the idea that everyone should be treated with equal dignity and respect. That's called the biblical golden rule. Right? But the idea that political correctness is crippling us is because if you treat terrorists with dignity and respect, if you treat radical Islam with dignity and respect, you're actually forwarding their agenda. She says political correctness isn't the cause of terrorism, it's the antidote. Okay, number one, Islamist terrorists don't deserve respect and they are not killing Londoners because people were mean to them. Duh. But then she said, look, Oregon, between Islamophobic attacker and men who stood up to him, who do you believe, who do you believes in being politically correct? Whose side you on? And then she said, of those multicultural kids in Manchester versus Maniac Bomber, who do you think believes in treating everyone with equality and respect? Well, the good guys, but that doesn't mean that they would treat attackers and Islamists with equality and respect. And I said, please name the situation in which tolerance and equality rather than resistance has defeated hate. The point I'm making here is that tolerance and equality toward terrorists does not defeat terrorists. What political correctness does, the reason political correctness is wrong, is because it insists that we apply respect and dignity to people who deserve none of them. Resistance is all, and some people were saying to me, well, you know, 
tolerance and equality defeated intolerance during the civil rights movement, right, with passive resistance. Okay, you have to resist the bad guys. That's the point. Political correctness cripples you from resisting the bad guys. But again, all of this is just about, uh, all of this, unfortunately, is, is just about anti-Trumpism as, avoid, as opposed to anti-Islamism. They would rather have conversations about how Trump is terrible, 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 terrible than have conversations about what we can do to actually stop the growth of radical Islam. Now, with that said, okay, so as I say, the left is the, the real, the, continues to be the real obstacle to fighting Islam, but President Trump is not making things any easier when he does silly things. So President Trump, this morning he gets back on Twitter, and he's been watching, apparently, Morning Joe and Fox and Friends, and he gets back on Twitter, and he issues this series of tweets. Here's what he tweeted, quote, People, the lawyers in the courts can call it whatever they want, but I am calling it what we need and what it is, a travel ban. The reason that he's saying this is because he was watching Morning Joe this morning and they ran a montage of people inside the Trump administration trying to say it's not a travel ban, it is a travel ban. So now he's going to clarify because it's very important that he respond to Morning Joe, a show with presumably nine watchers, seven of whom are actually on the set. Okay, he continues, the Justice Department should have stayed with the original travel ban, not the watered-down politically correct version they submitted to Supreme Court. The Justice Department should ask for an expedited hearing of the watered-down travel ban before the Supreme Court and seek a much tougher version. In any event, we are extreme vetting people coming into the U.S. in order to help keep our country safe. The courts are slow and political. And then he flipped over to Fox and Friends and tweeted, Dems are ta- he, he tweeted at Fox and Friends, Dems are taking forever to approve my people, including ambassadors. They are nothing but obstructionists. Want approvals. Period. Okay. Now, we can all... I think resonate to the fact that President Trump sees radical Islam uh, much more clearly than President Obama did. President Obama saw radical Islam as this tiny minority of people. It wasn't really a threat. Why are we worried about radical Islam when we should be worried about things like global warming? You know, President Trump doesn't do that routine, thank God. But I'm going to talk in a second about just what Trump is doing and whether it's effective or not. Because listen, it's all well and good for a Breitbart commenter to say things that you agree with. It's well and good for me to say things that you agree with or disagree with. But the president of the United States has a job, and that is to implement policy, not to sound off on Twitter. And if his sounding off on Twitter actually makes it harder for him to, to implement policy, then he's not doing his job. Before I get to that, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Zeal. So, if you want to make anybody in your family extremely happy, you need to download the Zeal app right now. Go to zeal.com, promo code Ben. And then you need to order a massage for family or friends. It makes for a great Father's Day gift. I remember the first time we used Zeal, the massage was supposed to come for me, and my mother-in-law was in town. I decided it would be much more useful to have her have the massage, so I gave it to her. Our relationship has been even better than it normally is ever since. But everyone in my family has used Zeal. My sister has used Zeal, I think, three times. I've used it twice. Uh, My wife has used it. My father has used it. My mother has used it. That's because Zeal, what they do, basically, is they send a masseuse to your house. Instead of you having to go down to the local spot and then schedule an appointment, instead, they send one of their 8,000 licensed massage therapists with a massage table and music and everything you need to turn your living room into a spot and give you a five-star massage. Scheduling, booking, payment, fast and easy. Even the tip is included. There's no money-changing hands. It's all done before. Zeal costs on average 20 to 50% less than if you go into your local spa or hotel. And right now, to help you get started, our listeners can get $25 off their first massage if they use promo code Ben at checkout. So again, go to zeal.com, promo code Ben. You get $25 off your first massage and you get $20 off all massages plus a free massage table and sheet set by signing up for Zeal's massage 
membership. That's a $380 value, yours free when you sign up for an actual membership. There's no initiation fee to join the membership, just a great additional savings on top of that $25 discount you're going to get when you use promo code Ben. So go to Zeal, it's spelled Z-E-E-L.com, or on Zeal's iPhone or Android app, and then make sure to click add promo code at the checkout to use my code Ben, and you get $25 your first in-home on-demand massage. Again, fantastic service, uh, and it makes a great present for family and friends. Great Father's Day gift as well. Okay, so as, as I was saying, President Trump got on, got on Twitter this morning, and this is an ongoing problem for President Trump. I agree with many of the things that he says. The travel ban, as I've said before, I don't think it's fantastic. I don't think it's terrible. I think it's insufficient in some ways and overbroad in others. In other words, it covers some people who ought not to be covered, and it covers and, and it doesn't cover people coming from Britain, where these terrorists are from, or France, where many terrorists are from, or Germany, where many terrorists are from, or Saudi Arabia, where many terrorists are from, or Egypt, where many terrorists are from. It covers a series of countries that are high terror, but high terror mostly inside the country, not necessarily exporting terrorism to other countries per se in mass numbers. So what Andrew McCarthy has said, and I think this is correct, is that if you actually want to stop importation of terrorists, what we actually need to focus on is less the travel ban and more on the extreme vetting Trump talks about. And this would be increasing standards with regard to vetting of people coming into the country, screening for ideology, screening for values, screening for, yes, which mosque did you go to? And was that mosque funded by Saudi Arabia, for example? These are questions that ought to be asked. Instead, Trump is focused on this travel ban. And his tweets, as I mentioned before, are actually counterproductive. They don't help implement the travel ban that even he wants. So in order to understand this, you need to understand that when the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals knocked down the second executive order travel ban, their justification for doing so is they said, one, it's a Muslim ban. Two, it's the same as that first executive order that we knocked down, which was overbroad. And it's just another way of doing that backdoor, basically. That was their argument. So what does Trump do? He comes out and he basically says it's a travel ban. And then he says he links it to the London attacks. By linking it to the London attacks, which have nothing to do with any of the people from these particular countries, it makes it sound like he actually would like to implement a Muslim ban, which is what the courts were saying, so he should shut up because stupid. Like, don't do this. And then for him to attack his own Justice Department, understand, the first travel ban executive order goes down in flames, and Trump comes back with a second one, right? And he signs it. His tweets, he's now saying that it's the DOJ's fault that he signed it. He signed it. This is his tweet. The Justice Department should have stayed with the original travel ban, not the watered-down, politically correct version they submitted to the Supreme Court. He signed it. What is he even talking about? He signed it. Like, you don't get to complain about a travel ban that you signed, dude. And by the way, the Justice Department works for you. They're the ones who are appealing this thing at your behest. Senator uh, Attorney General Sessions was hired by you. He can be fired by you. The Justice Department is under the purview of the executive branch. You know, if you would like the Justice Department to seek an expedited hearing, you obviously have a phone. You are tweeting from it. Why don't you pick it up and call Attorney General Sessions? All of this is just counterproductive. It's a waste. It actually makes it less likely that he's going to get the votes he needs on the Supreme Court to uphold the travel ban. And this goes to, is what Trump is doing, is it smart? Okay, that's not the same thing as, is he right in his general take on radical Islam? I think he is right in his general take on radical Islam, but he's going to need to do more than that. He's going to need to implement policies that make us safe. And if he thinks the travel ban is one of those policies, then why would you go on Twitter and undermine your own legal case at the same time that you're trying to argue it? It doesn't make any sense. I'm not angry at Trump for his perspective. I think his perspective is probably correct. But I think that his competence is in question here. 
the President of the United States is there to do things. He is not just there to say things. And I know everyone on our side of the aisle, everybody on the right, is just overjoyed that he's saying a lot of the things that we like people to say. Now it is his job to implement. He has a Republican Congress. I can listen. I can say all the things you want to hear, to hear said. Rush Limbaugh can say them. Sean Hannity can say them. Mark Levin can say them. There are plenty of us on the right who say the things you want to hear. You can say them in the comment section over at Daily Wire. The question isn't whether people are saying the things you want to say. The question is, are they implementing the things that will keep you safe? Right now, President Trump's tweets are actually getting in the way of that. They are giving leftists something to swivel to instead of having to argue on the ground that Trump had chosen. Imagine for a second, the London attacks happened on Saturday. And Trump, instead of tweeting out, just tweets, thoughts and prayers with the UK, we're going to do everything we can to help. And then he waits till Monday and he gives uh, a national address and he says, here's what the threat of radical Islam is all about. It's about the idea of imposing Sharia law globally. It is believed by a significant percentage of Muslims all around the world. And we have to distinguish between these so-called moderate groups like Karen Isna from actual moderates like Zudi Jasser or like some of the other people who are discussed in a, in a book I recommended last week about moderate Islam. You know, there, there are plenty of moderate Muslims reform Muslims, but they're not the ones the government goes to. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to reach out to this person, this person, this person, this person. We're going to start working. We're going to demand of the Saudi government that they stop funding Wahhabism in mosques. If they don't, we're going to freeze their bank accounts. Right? Th th these are all things that Trump could be doing. And he could have done it with a, with a well-stated policy speech. What would be so wrong with waiting? Like, I know that everyone has this gut level. Ooh, I, I'm glad he tweeted. Ooh, I'm glad that he said things that need to be said. They, would be, they do need to be said, but they need to be said in a smart fashion. Okay? This is not 40 chess what he's doing right now. It is just him watching Morning Joe and tweeting, and that is not good for his agenda. If you want the agenda passed, look, I'm going to distinguish now, okay? Are you a conservative who wants the agenda, or are you just someone who feels good because Donald Trump is punching things? If you're, if you're just a person who feels good because Donald Trump in random fashion, like the Hulk, is just breaking things, then let me suggest to you, you're not doing your job as a conservative. Your job as a conservative is to forward policy that makes your children safer. It is his job to implement that policy. If he is undercutting the implementation because he can't control himself, that is no better than saying the, the wrong thing. It's, it's slightly better because he's saying the right thing. It's better to say the right thing than to say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing. But it's not that much better than saying the right thing and doing the wrong thing. I'd prefer that he say the right thing and do the right thing. But that would require him to actually use his prefrontal cortex as opposed to his lizard brain that just wants to lash out at things on Twitter. I'm angry not because I think he has the wrong perspective. You understand? I agree with him on a lot of this stuff. I'm angry because he has a job. I agree with a lot of the people who work at my company. But they also have jobs. If they came in, if, my, if, my, if Mathis and Austin came in here every day and they said, Ben, your show is just great. And then they didn't play the audio at the correct times, cut off the show at the wrong point, and didn't allow me to read my ads. I would say, you're doing a crappy job. You're fired. Because they still have a job. It is really stupid to act as though Trump doesn't have a job or that his only job is to say things. And it's really stupid if you say his only job is to say things, but then when he says things, you say, well, don't take him seriously. Don't take him literally. Take him seriously. So is his job to say things or is it to do things? You can't just switch randomly. His job is to say things and do things, and he should do both of those things correctly. Okay, so... With that said, we're going to talk about the left falling apart on global warming and a few notes on Vladimir Putin and such. But first, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and become a subscriber. For $8 a month, you can become a subscriber at dailywire.com. That gets you access to the rest of the show live. It allows you to be part of the mailbag, which we are now going to be doing on Fridays because we're five days a week, gang. Five days a week. Boom! That's right. I know everyone is very excited particularly the employees who are used to having Fridays sort of off. But 
We are going to be going five days a week beginning this week. So be part of that by subscribing over at dailywire.com. You can also see Andrew Clavin's show live. Is Andrew going five days a week as well? No, okay, Andrew's still four days a week, but you get five, me five days a week. In any case, um, go over to check out Drew's show as well and be part of his mailbag on Thursdays, uh, which is awesome. Uh, and we have all sorts of goodies coming for subscribers as well. Annual subscribers, uh, if you subscribe annually right now, then you get the brand new book, Say It So, Papa, Dad, Me, and the 2005 White Sox Champion Season. Great gift for Father's Day. Fantastic gift for Father's Day. You don't have to be a White Sox fan to enjoy it. You don't even have to be a baseball fan to enjoy it. It's really more about fathers and sons. It's something my dad and I wrote during 2005, really rough year for us as a family. Um, and uh, it was basically a series of notes that my dad and I wrote each other during the, the baseball season, uh, endorsed by Dana Perino and Mark Levin and Jerry Krasnick over at ESPN.com, terrific baseball writer. It's available on Amazon.com right now as well for 12 bucks. but you get a free signed copy. The ones at Amazon aren't signed. You get a free signed copy when you become an annual subscriber over at DailyWire.com. So go check it out right now, DailyWire.com. Or if you just want to listen later, go to iTunes or SoundCloud uh, and leave us, a, uh, leave us a review. We always appreciate it over at iTunes. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. Okay, well... I think one of the great things that was exposed this last week is on Friday, President Trump pulls out of the Paris treaties. The Paris, it's, it really is a treaty, but, it, but they call it an accord. He pulls out of this Paris accord, and the entire left goes nuts. They say the world is going to implode. It's super-duper important. It's super-duper terrible. The, the mayor of London, uh, whose city was just attacked, two days before the attacks, he said that the worst thing that had happened was climate change. Really, he said this. He said, you should be scared of climate change, but terrorism, not so much. Here's what he said, the Sadiq Khan. He tweeted this June 1st. Okay, the, the attacks happened June 2nd, I believe. He tweeted, Now more than ever, world leaders must recognize the threat of climate change and join forces to protect public health, reduce pollution, and help sustain a greener planet. I remain committed to the Paris Agreement and working with other world cities on solutions to tackling emissions, harmful pollutants, and safeguarding the environment. We cannot overlook the fact that climate change remains one of the biggest environmental risks to humanity. Oh, that's one of the biggest risks to humanity. The day after the terrorist attacks, he said, Londoners will see an increased police presence, and over the course of the next few days, no reason to be alarmed. One of the things the police and all of us need to do is make sure we're as safe as we possibly can be. No reason to be alarmed over terrorism and the increase in police presence, but we should be deeply alarmed over an increase in temperature of 7 degrees, uh, seven degrees Fahrenheit over the course of the next 100 years. That's something we should be deeply alarmed about. Al Gore is being trotted out again, Al Gore. I mean, they had to wheel him in on a crane, Al Gore. Uh, because, I mean, he has become just a bowling ball of wreckage. Uh, and, uh, and here he is. Uh, apparently, the global warming has bloated him somewhat. Here he is discussing how weather is out of the book of revelations. It's not just the scientific community warning us now. It's Mother Nature. Every night on the TV news is like a nature hike through the book of Revelation. Every night. It's like, uh, well, no, that, maybe you just gained weight and you're sweating a lot, dude. Like, the weather isn't that bad. Every night on the evening music, first of all, we found that hurricanes have actually gone down in recent years. Uh, there were tornadoes always. There have always been natural disasters. But you know, the, the, the alarmism over global warming is truly astonishing. And the left is trying to make the case that that is more of a threat to humanity than terrorist attacks uh, or, or than the rise of radical Islam, which is taking over countries. Understand something. Terrorism is not just a function of people bombing Western cities. It is also a function of taking over countries that have Western minorities and then forcing them to abide by Sharia law. Right? Christians are being wiped out in the Middle East. Wiped out. It is a genocide that is happening in the Middle East against Christians. There are places all over the globe where Islamic radicals are rising in government, 
And it's not just a question of them attacking us here. It's, it's a question of them making their own countries Christian-free and Jew-free. And I know we ignore all of that, but the fact is these regimes are in no way non-terrorist just because they're using terrorist methods against their own citizenry. Nancy Pelosi said, I think, the craziest thing of all. She said that Trump pulling out of the Paris Accords, we discussed this on Friday, uh, it was a good move because the Paris Accords didn't actually do anything. Plus, they basically tried to lock the United States into certain reforms that, that were essentially ineffectual. Here's Nancy Pelosi, her, her, her dentures all moving, talking about this being a dishonor to God, really. That we had a moral responsibility to be good stewards of God's creation, and in doing so, we must pay special attention to the needs of the poor. So they saw it as an environmental justice issue as well, the evangelical community. When the Pope went to the White House, he talked about the dangers of air pollution when he was here. And just last week, the Pope met with President Trump and gave him a copy of his encyclical, Laudate Si, which made the case for strong, urgent action to halt the climate crisis. The Pope wrote, the climate is a common good belonging to all and meant for all. The Bible tells us that to minister to the needs of God's creation is an act of worship. To ignore those needs is to dishonor the God who made us. Sorry, I went, and that is just what we're doing I, I, I went, by I walking away from this Okay, accord. we can cut her off I, before she kills our, our entire audience of boredom. Um, but but when she, I love that Nancy Pelosi, who wants you to be able to abort a baby until you're Nancy Pelosi's age, like until the baby is Nancy Pelosi's age. The dishonor to God is pulling out of a useless agreement that was non-binding in effect. That was the dishonor to God, not the killing of the babies. Not the backing of taxpayer-funded killing of babies. It's a dishonor to God. The overheated language that the left uses with regard to with regard to global warming is in marked contrast to the way that they treat terrorism. Paul Krugman, who is just a turd of a human being, Paul Krugman tweeted out, I actually want to get this right, so I'm going to go over to his Twitter account right now. Here is what he tweeted. He tweeted, let's see. I'm going to London later this week. OMG, I might be stabbed, or I might get hit by a drunk driver tonight, or run over by a cab tomorrow. I mean, seriously, terrorism equals bad, but panicking about this stuff, or worse, is inciting panic is unforgivable, especially for president. So the entire left is inciting panic about climate change that they predict will happen over the course of the next century, and to which we have technologies that will adapt, but terrorism is something that we shouldn't worry about. The disconnect between this is really amazing. And what it really comes down to is the left does not believe that humanity has the capacity for actual evil. The left believes, this is one of the things I liked about the Wonder Woman film, is that Wonder Woman, it doesn't give anything away, but one of the great themes of the film is human beings are capable of evil, that it doesn't require an external force for human beings to be evil. Human beings are capable of being evil themselves. And the left just refuses to acknowledge this. The, the left simply says that terrorism is a function of poverty, it's external forces that cause everything. So if the environment is really screwed up, what that's going to cause is more terrorism. This is why they actually have tried to blame terrorism on global warming. Bernie Sanders tried to do this, if you recall, in the last election cycle. But the real threat to the planet is not the planet getting a little bit warmer over the course of the next century. That is not the threat to humanity. We will all survive that. The planet has warmed and cooled in the past. I'm not talking about whether we should do things to, to curb that. I think that there are things we can do to curb it, like, for example, encouraging fracking. Fracking is significantly cleaner than coal, but the left doesn't want to hear that. But the left is focused on global warming because it allows them to virtue signal without actually having to do anything about the problem of human evil that must be confronted on a daily basis. 
Okay. With, meanwhile, uh, there was a big interview that Megyn Kelly, uh, she, she's now back, and she's on NBC. So she has a show on NBC on Sunday nights. And in her first interview, she interviewed Vladimir Putin, the dictator of Russia. And Vladimir Putin dropped a couple of lines about Mike Flynn and about Russian meddling in the election. And um, I have some notes. Here is, here is Megyn Kelly with Vladimir Putin. <clears throat> You and I, you and I personally have a much closer relationship than I had with Mr. Flynn. You and I met yesterday evening. You and I have been working together all day today, and now we're meeting again. When I came to the event for our company, Russia Today, and sat down at the table, next to me there was a gentleman sitting on one side. I made my speech, then we talked about some other stuff, and I got up and left. And then afterwards I was told, you know, there was an American gentleman, he was involved in some things. He used to be in the security services. That's it. I didn't even really talk to him. That's the extent of my acquaintance with Mr. Flynn. <laughs> okay, so he says that, 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 of course, is not the question, is how often he personally talked with Mike Flynn, the, the former national security advisor to Trump. The question is, was Mike Flynn being paid by the, by the Russians, by Russia today? The answer is yes. Presumably, Putin wouldn't get on the phone with Flynn directly every five seconds. Uh, why was he at that dinner in the first place is a question. And then Putin remarks the idea that the Russians meddled in the election at all. <coughs> there wasn't even any kind of specific discussion about sanctions or anything else. For me, this is just amazing. You created a sensation out of nothing. And out of this sensation, you turned it into a weapon of war against the current president. Well, this is, you know, you're just, you people are so creative over there. Good job. Your lives must be boring. <laughs> so the entire right is jumping on this and saying, oh, look, Vladimir Putin said they weren't meddling in the election. Right. The former KGB agent is saying they weren't meddling in the election. Here's the thing about all of this. The, the right is so eager to, to exonerate Trump, which is fine. I, you know, again, there's no evidence implicating Trump in anything himself. Uh, there's evidence linking Flynn, there's evidence linking Manafort, but there's nothing really linking ca the campaign itself or Trump to the Russians. There is no smoking gun. There's not even any hard evidence at this point. You know, all of that said, Vladimir Putin's word is not something that you should take at face value. And I see people who I respect, you know, tweeting this stuff like, oh, well, if Putin says it, it must be true. No, it could also be Putin effing with you, right? It could be Putin screwing with you and saying that, you know, the Russians, we, we didn't meddle. What, what are you talking about? We meddle in your election? Are you crazy? Why would we do this? And then in the back, he's like hacking the DNC again. The point is this. Okay, when, when you play baseball, uh, I, I was a Little League player and I still am capable of turning on a fastball. Austin can testify to this. Uh, so um, the, the fact is that one of the things they talk about in baseball is if you really want to screw with a hitter, if you really want to screw with the hitter and you're a catcher, what you do is you tell them what's coming next. right? Because if you say it's a fastball, then they don't know whether to believe you or not. Is it a fastball or is it a curveball? If they say it's a curveball, is it a fastball or a curveball? You don't know. So good hitters, what they do if a catcher tries to do this is they ignore what the catcher is saying to them because they're better off using their reflexes to respond to the pitch that's coming at them than trying to outthink whether the catcher is lying to them or not, because what a catcher will do is sometimes they'll lie and sometimes they'll tell the truth. They'll say, here comes a fastball, here comes the fastball. Say, here comes a fastball, it's a fastball. Here comes a curveball, it's a fastball, right? So instead, what you do is you just ignore the, the catcher, right? You just do what you're going to do. That is how the right should be treating Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is there to screw with us. He's there to screw with us. He's there to screw with the Democrats. He's there to screw with the United States. His interests are adversarial to ours. Tweeting him out as though he has something valuable to say here, tweeting him out as though he is somehow exonerating Trump, 
and that when he says things, we should take them at face value. If Obama had done the same thing, we would have said, boy, are you a Putin shill. So don't fall into this trap. Just because it's convenient doesn't mean it's true. Okay, before we go any further, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Blinds.com. So if you are somebody who has ugly window shades, if you have old-style blinds, you know, the kind that kind of crinkle every time you try to wrap them up and they have like a, a dent in the middle and you don't know what to do about it, you need to go over to Blinds.com. Fantastic, fantastic company. What you do is you send them pictures of your house and they send back custom recommendations from a professional for what's going to work with your color scheme and your furniture and specific rooms. They'll even send you free samples to make sure that everything looks as good in person as it does online and every order gets free shipping. If you And then you measure the blinds yourself they send them to you if you accidentally mismeasure it if you do the, th- the wrong thing you pick the wrong color if you screw up in other words blinds.com fixes it for you for free they will remake your blinds for free right now for a limited time if you go to blinds.com and you use promo code ben you get 20 percent off everything 20 percent off everything when you use promo code ben that's blinds.com promo code ben for 20 percent off all of the things faux wood blinds cellular shades roller shades and more blinds.com Promo code Ben. There are some rules and restrictions that apply. Make sure you use that promo code Ben so they know that we sent you and you get that 20% discount. Again, this is much cheaper than if you would go to, much more inexpensive than if you would go to a blind store and they customize it for you and there's no chance of screwing it up because if you screw it up, they make it right for you for free. So pretty amazing stuff. Blinds.com. Use that promo code Ben. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things I hate. So things I like. While we are talking about the crisis in Islam, I mentioned this book last week, but you actually should read it. It's The Crisis of Islam by Bernard Lewis, considered one of the leading scholars of Islam in the United States. He teaches, I believe, over at Harvard University. Uh, and The Crisis of Islam, very short books, like 165 pages, uh, and a good summary of the history of Islam, what the problems have been in modernizing Islam, uh, and what are the challenges that we face in fighting Islam. One of the things I find interesting is everyone is trying to avoid the implication that there are a large number of Muslims who agree with, with terrorists uh, who may not even agree with the tactics, but agree with the general ideology of Sharia law dominating the planet, and so will pursue Sharia law through alternative means. Bernard Lewis spells this out, and he talks about it, and he uses language like a huge number of Muslims believe in these bad things. And then he says, but a majority of Muslims may not believe in these bad things. The bottom line is it's very hard to get an estimate on how many Muslims globally believe in globally applied Sharia law, but it is not a tiny minority. To pretend that it's 5% or 10% or 3% is just absurd. One of the things that I think is actually pretty hilarious is that at one point PolitiFact did a fact check on the notion that, um, uh, on this video that I did, uh, where I talked about how many Muslims are radicalized, how many of them have radical beliefs. And all I did was I took a bunch of polling polling data and I pointed out how many of them believe in honor killings, for example, or how many of them believe in the application of Sharia law by the government, their own government or other governments, which is radical. I mean, if we in the United States, if there are a group of people in the United States who say that separation of church and state should be overthrown in favor of a Christian theological government, that would be radical, would it not? But According to PolitiFact, that's not radical. So they tried to come over with their own, like, I love this. According to a 20,000, here's what PolitiFact said. They said, looking at a 2013 Pew report on Muslims, we found the picture is more complicated. Pew reported 84% of Pakistani Muslims wanted Sharia law, but of those, nearly two-thirds said it should apply only to Muslims. Run those numbers through, and you get about 54 million Muslims who think all Pakistanis should be subject to Sharia law. That's about 60% fewer than I said, because I said that 76% of Muslims want Sharia law in all Muslim countries. Okay, so what? If you're, you know what that means. If you want Muslim law applied to all Muslims, that is still a theocracy. 
You understand? Because if a Muslim tries to convert away, that is apostasy, and you can be killed in Islam for that. So that's still pretty radical. But they do their they do their their sort of um, they, they they do their their own analysis, and what they come up with at the end is I said that. You know, I went through all these countries, and then I averaged, I said 72% of the people in these countries could be identified as radicalized. Pew, or, or PolitiFact, which hates me, went through and they said 19% could be identified as radicalized. And then they back away. They said, to be clear, we're not saying 19%. We're not saying 181 million radical Muslims. So even they can't come up with an estimate. Everyone shies away from the estimates because the fact is there are lots and lots and lots of radical Muslims all over the world. The crisis of Islam explains why. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So Bill Maher dropped a really terrible joke on HBO on Friday night, and Ben Sass, who we had on the show last week, was in studio with Bill Maher, and uh, both of them were getting all sorts of flack. I'll explain who should get flack and why. We'd love to have you work in the fields with us. <laughs> work in the fields? That's part of that. That's... <laughs> Senator, I'm a house man. <laughs> no, it's, it's a joke. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so... People were saying that Sass was laughing at him. No, Sass is not laughing. It's about an awkward look as we can get. I mean, can you go back to that look on Sass's face? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that is like, oh, God, get me out of here when he makes the house N-word joke. Um, and, uh, and so people are ripping on Sass. They're saying Sass should have immediately chided Mar on air. Now, should he have immediately chided Mar on air? Yes, he should have. He absolutely should have. He should have said, that is, why are you making an N-word joke? That is totally inappropriate and wild. Now, can we be honest about something for a second? How many of you have ever been in a room where someone told a joke that was sexist, racist, bigoted, homophobic, and you laughed awkwardly because you didn't know what to do, and then later you thought, I really should have said something? If you're saying that that's never happened to you, I'm going to go with your fibbing right now. It's happened to pretty much everyone. I've been in rooms where uh, somebody started telling openly racist jokes, and I literally got up and walked out of the room, and then later I felt like I really should have told him to, to, to stop it like in the room. But I, I remember I, at the time, I was like, this is so awful. And I got up and I walked out of the room and I should have told him just stop. This is not appropriate. Um, but since it wasn't, you know, because, because it wasn't a place where I felt comfortable doing that, uh, then it made it very awkward. Does that mean I did the right thing in not telling him? No. So should Sass have said something? Sure. But to say that in the moment, Sass should have expected an N-word joke and then jumped in, I think is being pretty uncharitable towards Senator Sass. I think a lot of the people who are upset with him here uh, are really people who are upset that he doesn't like President Trump very much, and they're using this as a, as a cudgel to beat him. As far as Maher making a, a bad joke here, it is a really bad joke. Does it mean that Maher is racist? I don't think that that, is a, that he meant to be racist here. I think that would be a weird statement. Regarding Mar, Mar came out and apologized. Now there's a crusade to get him thrown off the air. I'm, I'm getting tired of these crusades to get people thrown off the air. Unless we are trying to achieve a mutually assured destruction so that people will stop it altogether, which is why I started Truth Revolt. I don't like the idea that somebody makes a joke you don't like, and now the goal is to get them thrown off the air. Uh, I think it's a mistake. Uh, and, and so should Mar have made the joke? Of course not. Does Mar acknowledge he shouldn't have made the joke? Of course. But uh, this, everybody's over the top, and, and the virtue signaling and the let's fire everybody because they said something we don't like, it'll come around to you too, okay? All the people who say this are, are people who it will apply to. They'll comb through your Twitter and find something they don't like, uh, and then they'll initiate boycotts against you and try and destroy you. I don't like it. Okay, other things that I hate. Shannon Sharp. Uh, who is a former tight end in the uh, in the NFL? He was talking about being black on Fox Sports One, and he said that being black is the hardest job in America. I've said numerous times, the hardest job in America isn't being a professional athlete. It's not. 
being a bull bullfighter or a matador or some having some uh, job that puts your life at risk. The hardest job in America is being black because it's the one thing you cannot run. See, Skip, I was born dirt poor, but I rose through the ranks because God gave me a talent. I cultivated it and I rose up through the ranks. But even as I became more famous and, 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 and more financially secure, guess what I still was? Black. Skip, I didn't have education. No one in my, grand, uh, in my family graduated from college until my brother did and then I did. So I wasn't as educated, but I got an education. But guess what I still was? I'm wealthy. I'm well off. I'm financially secure. I'm educated, but I'm still black. And that's how they see. See, even LeBron James, guy is famous beyond famous, makes $77 million a year. He's going to send electric kids from the Akron area to college on his dime. But we still got to remind him, LeBron, I need you to hold down that now. You know, so the, the, this whole notion that being black is the hardest job in America. Okay, I this morning I received a huge series of emails that are just astonishingly anti-Semitic. I mean, from, from one guy who I can only assume is some sort of alt-right troll. And I mean, it's stuff about how my kids should die in gas chambers and all the K-words should be have their throats cut. I literally received this in my email box today. Okay, so is it the hardest job in America being a Jew? Is it even one of the top 10 jobs? No, because it's not a, it's not a job being a Jew. Okay, it's a, a job is what you do for a living. I'm not a Jew for a living. I'm a Jew by choice in terms of my religion and by ethnicity otherwise. The idea that Shannon Sharp has the hardest job in America because he's black or LeBron Job has the hardest job in America because he's black, I'm going to go with a soldier on the front lines in Afghanistan has the hardest job. A cop policing a high crime area has the hardest job. A firefighting running into a firefighter running into burning buildings has the hardest job. Not all black people have the hardest job because not all black people live equivalent lives. And this, this attempt to paint all black people as victims as an evil white society, again, are there evil people out there who will target people because they're black? Yes. Are there evil people out there who will target people because they're Jews? Absolutely. Are there evil people out there? Yes. Does that mean LeBron James has the hardest job in America or Shannon Sharp has the hardest job in America? Absolutely not. And pretending that, that being black is, a, is basically putting you behind the eight ball in the United States is not acknowledging the reality of behavior when, and decision-making when it comes to success in America. It's blaming society at large for whatever failures you see. Again, I'm, I'm happy to blame individual racists for racism, but to blame all of American society as though we want to vandalize LeBron James' garage when all of American society is currently watching LeBron James and a lot of other black folks play in the NBA Finals as well as some white folks. That's just absurd. It's absurd. LeBron James gets paid a lot of money to play a basketball game. And, and Shannon Sharp got paid a lot of money to play football. Okay, we'll be back here tomorrow with more updates and more news and all of your favorite things. So be there or be square. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.